Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership series. My name is Scott Miller and I serve as your weekly host. Now, in addition to the interviews that I'm privileged to host every week, where we interview some of the most fascinating people in the leadership space, could be best-selling authors, captains of industry, entrepreneurs, CEOs, or just really wise people that we uncover, I'm also gonna intersperse some of my own thoughts that I've had the privilege of being exposed to over my 30-year career as I've learned some valuable lessons, sometimes deliberately and sometimes accidentally. Today I'm gonna to share three of those lessons with you. The first lesson comes from Franklin Covey's very own Chief People Officer, Todd Davis. Several weeks ago, I interviewed Todd for many reasons. One, he meets that wise criteria, but two, he also wrote a recent best-selling book called Get Better, all about how relationships between people are really, in fact, an organization's most valuable assets. The first concept comes from Todd, and that is this idea of excuse-free apologies. I've kind of renamed it unencumbered apologies. If you're at all like me, you've spent most of your life when you give apologies, and gosh, I've probably given tens of thousands of them, if you know me, you usually attach some kind of disclaimer or reason for it. I'm sorry I said that, but I was really stressed, or she really irritated me, or I've had a rough morning, the CEO's on my back about X, Y, or Z. And Todd has really taught me and others, it really negates the sincerity and the delivery of your apology. Just apologize with no encumbrances, if you will. Just say, I'm sorry I said that, I was wrong, I did not mean to offend you, I'm really sorry I apologize. And leave it at that. Don't share any of the extra context. Now, easier said than done, right? Because in most cases, your excuse is probably legitimate. There is a reason why you did what you did. And you may sincerely regret it, but it doesn't help. In fact, it hurts the apology when you attach all these excuses around it or context. You can still believe it to be true. You can even say it in your mind. But for an apology to be sincere, it should be free of any attachments at all. So practice it. In the last few months, I've been doing that. I have been, when I've offended someone, been very deliberate on providing a sincere apology when there may well have been meaningful reasons why I acted the way I acted, but I have not, I've not burned the apology with any of the extra context. So practice it. The next time you owe your wife or your husband or your kids or your neighbor or your boss or a colleague or your assistant an apology, practice attaching nothing to it. Let's call it excuse free apologies. On to the second concept. This comes from Jim Collins. Many of you know Jim as you know, the renowned thought leader, the co-author of the famous book, Built to Last, the author of Good to Great, and many other successful books. I've had the privilege of being with Jim half a dozen times over the last 15 years in the company. He's a good friend of our CEOs and a collaborator in many ways with Franklin Covey. Jim has many profound concepts, right? The flywheel, the hedgehog, right people on the bus, all those very colloquial phrases. He also has a concept that's changed me forever. And it's this idea of trying to be more interested and less interesting. Think about it. It's a struggle to be more interested in other people, other ideas, others' insights, and to be less interesting because for us, it's a constant sort of gravitational pull to be more interesting. All of us are trying to create you know, some independent brand or build your identity or differentiate yourselves. 
And as our world revolves around tweeting and posting and forwarding and liking and chatting and all those ways in the digital world where we carve out our unique sort of value. Why am I smarter than or more interesting than? It's a challenge, but in it is some inherent humility. Is are you spending more time being interested in and listening to what others have to say than constantly trying to trumpet your own horn, so to speak, or, you know, be the loud voice in the room. You can still carve out your own identity. You can still be a wise and profound person by being interested, as opposed to spending time trying to always be interesting. In fact, you know what? I'm not sure I've ever had an original thought in my life. But I once read a research study that talked about how few people live their lives having any original, truly, you know, um, owned ideas themselves. You know, that doesn't bother me. When I first read it, I thought, gosh, that kind of is tough. But as I matured, I thought, you know what, that's okay. Part of life is just listening to other wise people that have, you know, been down the same road you've been down or you're headed down and learning from them. So I've really tried to internalize the thought of being more interested and spending less time being interesting. Now, here comes the third thought. It comes from our co-founder, Dr. Stephen R. Covey. Of the hundreds of wise things he said and the many books just dedicated to his own quotes, he said something that's changed me forever. And it's this idea of, with people, slow is fast and fast is slow. It's prophetic. Think about it. Most of us treat people like we treat things or processes, right? We're, we're inherently rewarded for being efficient versus effective. And if maybe not you, definitely me. I, I constantly get confused and fall into the trap of treating my relationships like I treat toast. You say toast? Let me give you the metaphor. Have you ever been to the hotel breakfast buffet, especially in a large hotel, where they have the industrial toaster? Not the four or five or six slice toaster, but the conveyor toaster, where you take your bread out of the loaf, you put it on the little rack, you turn the dial to you know, two or three, and in a minute or 90 seconds, it runs your toast around, your toast comes out toasted. Well, I really struggle with that mind-numbing technology, because for me, I cannot wait the 45 seconds it takes for my toast to come out. So inherently, I walk up to it and I immediately turn it to the number nine, the fastest number, put my toast in because I want it out fast. And invariably, it either comes out still raw, so to speak, or I have to put it in two or three times, when instead, if I would just leave it on the two setting, put my toast in, take a deep breath, walk over, you know, take a glass of orange juice, get a cup of coffee, get my eggs, come back, my toast would come out a minute later, all toasted. I use that metaphor because I think that toaster is the way I treat many of my relationships. Now, don't get me wrong. Hopefully you know, if you've met me, I really value my friendships and relationships. In fact, I was really inspired by Todd's book around relationships. And I'm, I'm also quite proud of my own productivity. I like to get things done. We say at Franklin Covey, no one's ever going to hire me to deliver a funeral eulogy or a Thanksgiving prayer. But I'll be the first person hired to evacuate you from a burning building. Now, you might need therapy on the way down, but I will get you out alive. I like to get things done, and I have a very sort of efficient mindset. What I need to be mindful is not letting that productivity mindset rule my relationships. With people, slow is fast, and fast is slow. Here's a great example. 
About 20 years ago, I was a salesperson in our education division. My job was to sell leadership development solutions to community college, university and college professors and uh, administrators. I was at an especially important meeting with the uh, provost, I think she was the vice president of um, business and provost at a major top 10 university in size in the Midwest. And we'd had some conversations, they were an ongoing client, but we had a kind of a big deal on the table where they were thinking of training in excess of a thousand people in one of our solutions. Very exciting, especially as a salesperson. We go to the meeting, I invite our vice president then of education, Chuck Farnsworth, who was sort of the polar opposite of me. He's very laid back, uh, you know, 20 years my elder, very wise, very deliberate. We go to the dinner, and no sooner had our menus arrived, I push the menu aside, slide up my chair, and start to launch into the, sort of the business conversation. I'm not sure our waters had even been poured yet. And like it was yesterday, I remember Chuck, appropriately, putting his hand on my knee, kind of squeezing it under the table, and very delicately and gently redirecting the conversation over to some just pleasantries, right? Finding some common ground. How are you doing? How's the summer in Ohio? What are some goals you're trying to accomplish? What are some of your struggles? It was a very, for Chuck, effervescent, natural conversation. For me, it was like, you know, infuriating because I wanted to get to the business at hand. But in fact, the business at hand was just building some sincere commonality, right? Some rapport, some camaraderie. And in due time, Chuck got to the business. And in fact, we won the business. But had we not, Chuck wouldn't have changed his style because he was all about investing and listening and learning slowly with the other person. Now, I'm still, as you can tell, fairly energetic. I have a bias to action. I'm somewhat impulsive and impetuous. And some would say it makes me endearing, not my wife. But some might say they like that about me. But I struggle, really struggle, with making sure that I don't take that same sort of bias to action at dinner with my relationships. And the thought from Stephen, with people slow as fast and fast as slow, is never more relevant now when all of us are at hyper speed trying to accomplish more, multitask, live in the real world, manage our digital worlds, all of our many roles. I just caution everyone to be mindful of that thought that take your time with your relationships, because in life, it's all that matters. I hope you found these insights valuable. I've struggled with these and dozens of others through my entire career, made some incremental progress. I'm also writing about them in a twice or three time weekly blog. So I encourage you, if you found them helpful, connect with me on Facebook or LinkedIn, follow me on Twitter. I'm also collecting a couple hundred of them to be published in a book in the not so distant future. And I hope you join us back here next week when we have a new thought leader in the studio. Thanks so much. Have a great week.